we're all going through the same thing and the wedding world could be much better if they made the same efforts to attract and work with same-sex couples as they did with couples of different color and size and ethnicity and disability and race and gender. You are listening to the In Full Frame podcast. In Full Frame is the go-to resource for wedding professionals, featuring news from all across our industry and original articles from our industry's leaders. I'm your host, Lance Nicole, and you can find more on InFullFrame.com. Enjoy the show. On today's podcast, we are speaking with Jove Meyer. Jove is a wedding planner based out of New York City. He's one of the best in the world at what he does. He's had numerous appearances on The Rachel Ray Show and held over three dozen speaking engagements in the last few years. Jove, so happy to have you on today. I've been watching the Home Renovation uh, Chronicles on Instagram. That's (laughs) quite the adventure, man. It's pretty neat. Uh, How's that going? Thank you. It's been a joy and a blessing in so many ways because not having so much wedding work having a creative outlet to design a home in the middle of everything that's going on has been great, but it's no small task for sure. Yeah, no. Yeah. seems like, um, yeah, it seems like it's been pretty intense. I saw the before pictures and I watched, I mean, a lot of people are watching, but I saw how the, the, uh, the drapes and the blinds coming together and all the drapes rather but I can painted and all that. I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. I want a place that's a refugee, you know, a refuge from the insanity that is in the world and a calm, happy, yeah. colorful place. Yeah. That's awesome. Man. So um, are there particular things that you know, you want to talk about? I mean, so, you know, we can, we can do kind of the typical, which typical isn't bad, but we can do like the typical talking about like how you got into wedding planning and your approach to wedding planning and just that kind of that journey and evolution for you. But I also, I know, you know, there's things that are near and dear to your heart. I mean, you're, um, you know, you've obviously done quite a few speaking engagements. I was trying to count them up on your site. There was like 40 or so. (laughs) That's pretty incredible. And, um, but there's also, you know, um, issues that are, that are near and dear to you. And I know you've been, I mean, not only are you, you you have up, I mean, upcoming speaking engagements, but also speaking engagements set for, for GB Pride and, um, and, and things of that nature. But you've also been, you know, pretty uh, consistent on social media talking about things that are important. So I don't know. I mean, we can talk about more than one thing, obviously, but are there particular things you want to kind of steer the conversation towards or not towards? I'm super open. I do think that talking about inclusion and diversity and equality is important. I think it's, you know, a big part of who I am and a big part of why I do what I do. But if people are interested in the start or the beginning you know, I'm an open book. Whatever you think is helpful, I'm happy to to go with the flow. Okay. All right. Um, and then are there any, I mean, we can kind of get to this, to this naturally. I mean, it's a conversation, you know, and um, the nice thing about this too is that, it, you know, it's it's pre-recorded. It's not live. Everything can get uh, cut. So if I like ask you a question, you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to go that way. Or if you want to stop me and go like, you know what, we should go back and talk about this. Like, that's cool. And I can cut those little, little um, pieces out. Are there any particular... And this is a broad question, so you can say you, you don't know or know. But any specific like um, anecdotes or, or stories that have led you to uh, weddings that you want to make sure we get to, or have led you to really, you know, being a strong voice for inclusion that you'd want to make sure we get to? I mean, I think for me, it's all connected, right? Growing up yeah. gay and not feeling welcome or included most of my life, <laughs> sort of 
naturally the advocacy came from that. So I think it is intertwined and interwoven. And yeah. I think um, I think it will come up in the story. So I'm I'm sure that that okay. will happen. And I am launching um, a new ally pledge, which is something I'm super excited about. Um, so depending on when this you're planning to put this out, um, it may or may not be live by that point. But it's basically putting advocacy into action. And it's something I'm super excited about and would love to share a little bit more about that, um, if that makes sense. And it does sort of in the world yeah. of, of the things that I do and that are important to me. Just talk a little bit about you know growing up and, and what some of the challenges were um, for you. And you know were, were you able to be really open with who you are as, as a young man? Or what was that evolution and journey like for you? Yeah, I grew up in a very small conservative town in Southern California. Mm -hmm. My parents were very religious. I was raised in a very religious family, um, abstinence before marriage. I was supposed to have an arranged mm -hmm. marriage. Um, it was definitely a very conservative town. And I knew from a very young age that I was different. I didn't really know what yeah. that meant as a kid, but I knew an arranged marriage to a person of the opposite sex to a woman was not something that um, excited me the way it excited my brothers or other friends um, that I knew growing up. And so for many years, it was basically a lot of shame and self-hate and confusion because I thought I was a good person, but there was a part of me that I hated because it was bad, it was ugly, it was dark, it was a sin. Um, and so it was really difficult to be perfectly honest, not really always loving myself for me um, and always fearing the hate of my family, my community, my church members. They were all so important to me and such an integral part of my life. And the fear yeah. that they wouldn't love me if they saw all of me or knew all of me was really detrimental and scary. And it's part of the reason I didn't come out until I was 24 years old. Wow, yeah internalizing that confusion i mean this is years and years of that right so like mm -hmm. do you have a point of time where you remember kind of like really self-reflecting and feeling like i'm confused i don't know why i'm confused like i love these people they love me where is this conflict coming from or was it really clear to you where that confusion and conflict was i don't know that it was super clear i mean growing up in the late you know 80s early 90s there were no gay people on tv there were no gay people on radio there weren't gay people in my town that I knew. And the only thing I knew about gay people was that died children, which were the things that the conservative Republican churches near me were saying, what my neighbors were saying, what the media was saying. So it wasn't as though I related with that. I clearly don't want to die of AIDS. And as right. a kid, I didn't want to molest children. Those are two things that I was like, well, if that's right. gay, then I'm not gay because that's not how I feel or or what's inside of me. But when I go to the beach with my brother and he looks at a girl in her bikini and I'm looking at the surfer dude in his short shorts, like it's very clear that our attractions are different. Right. But um, for many years, I tried to change myself and I tried to fit into a mold that society, my church and my family told me was the mold I had to be in. And it wasn't really until mm -hmm. I was 24, until I moved to New York City that I realized that I didn't have to change, that my church had to change, that my family had to change, that society had to change, because fundamentally there's nothing wrong with who I am or who I love. Um, 
And so it was a big shift for me, but it happened, you know, over the course of many years, it wasn't sort of like a light bulb went off overnight. So like, you know, it means if it's safe to say that you basically had this one definition or ideal of what gay was. And so you kind of had to wrangle with that. And then as you get older and you mm-hmm. were exposed to, I mean, was it New York and just different communities where you realize, I mean, you're, you, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but that your idea of what gay even the definition of what that was changed. It was almost, I mean, freed or opened. Is that, is that fair to say? No, totally. I, you know, as I said, there weren't love songs written about two men or two women. Marriage wasn't legal. We weren't, I couldn't see myself in a book, on TV, in a movie, anywhere. And it wasn't until I moved to the Bay Area after I finished three years of missionary work um, that I started pursuing acting and I got a gig as an extra in the movie Milk, which is basically the movie about Harvey Milk's life. Yeah. And I auditioned for the movie. I grew a really amazing mullet and really amazing sideburns. (laughs) It was like such a whole thing. And it was actually the first time in my life because we filmed in the Castro, the historic gay community in San Francisco. And it was the first time in my life I met gay people. um, And they literally broke every stereotype that had been ingrained into my brain. They were loving, they were kind, they were caring, they were compassionate, they were in happy relationships. Um, good people they weren't they were good people and hundreds of them you know we did the march scene with thousands of volunteers who came out and i'll never forget those months i spent filming and really i think the thing that changed it for me was i was speaking to the writer of the movie dustin lance black and he was raised mormon and so i would talk to him every day and i was like what was it like for you um very similar background and how, when you came out to your parents, what happened? Because more than anything, I feared that my parents would never speak to me again, you know, that my family would completely walk away. And when he kind of shared his story, it really changed my mind and my life in many ways. Um, I naively thought the movie would come out and everyone in church would see it. And that would be my coming out party. But of course, the pastor in church was like, don't go see this movie. It's really bad. And it, it, it's about indoctrinating young people into the life of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that attempt failed. Right. But ultimately, for me, it was a big turning point, that movie um, and filming it and meeting just incredible people who were all gay and all different, but complete opposite of what I was told my whole life. Yeah, that's amazing. Let's let's go back a little bit. So you, know, you, so you grew up in your community. Um, when was your mission? Was that the first time you you kind of left your community or did you go to kind of give me the ages of when you were kind of branching out a little bit? Yeah, I was born and raised in the small beach town. Mm -hmm. And then my first trip out of state was when I was 14. I joined a leadership program through the Boys and Girls Club and we went to a conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'll never forget my first time on an airplane. And um, so I was president of that leadership group for four years. And every year we'd go to a different state for a conference. And then at 18, I um, gave up a full ride to college and I became a missionary for three years. And that took me around the country and around the world. Um, And I landed in the Bay Area at the end of that missionary program where I did two years of college and worked full time. And then ultimately knew if I stayed in the Bay Area where the church was, where I was a pastor, where I was an active member, where all my friends were, where all my community was, then I would never really live my true life. And I would likely get married to a woman and possibly have a family and really 
no one would be truly happy in that scenario. But um, it was really difficult, but I decided to give it all up. I sold my car, I gave up my amazing apartment, I gave up my amazing job, and I moved to New York City yeah. 12 years ago with $1,000 wow. and um, really decided if I'm going to figure myself out, it has to be outside the confines of the church that I grew up in. Wow. Wow. What an, what an incredible experience. I mean, I'm sure there's others that share you know similar experiences when you're in a, a religious community that's that involved that deep, but also very unique in a sense to be, you know, mm-hmm. um, to to go to San Francisco to be a part of this movie and uh, to be in a in a city that's known for embracing gay culture so well, but needing to escape that to be able to kind of start over, um, which probably took a lot of bravery on your part. Um, that's a big jump, you know, I mean, I talk a lot about uh, taking jumps in life, whether it's uh, business or, or whatever, but that's, that's a mega jump. That's everything on the line there. So, I mean, yeah, just, I didn't know uh, anybody. I literally had, didn't have a job, didn't have an apartment, didn't know a single person. Um, but I knew if I was going to live my true life, I had to make a drastic change. That's incredible. man. It's incredible. That's awesome. Um, so you get to New York It's 12 years ago. You know, what do you do? What do you do first? What happens first? Well, I was here primarily for school, mm-hmm. and at that time, in I was Columbia. on track to go to. Mm-hmm, I went to Columbia undergrad, um, and I was studying politics. And my goal was to go to Harvard Law, wow. do legal work, and then politician. You, were shooting low. you know, that was sort of the track <laughs> that I was on, exactly. So um, I didn't really have a life because I went to school full time and I waited tables full time. Um, but then that first summer in New York, my best friend from church who I did three years of missionary work and I've known now for 20 years, um, she was getting married. And so she asked me, would you help me with my wedding? You're so creative. You're so amazing. And, you know, I'd love to have you help me. And I was in the closet at that time, but I, um, absolutely wanted to help her. And so she was sort of the first dip into the wedding world for me. And we were poor college students. Yeah. So we went to the Dollar Tree. We went awesome. to the Christmas tree store, <laughs> Ikea, like anywhere we could go yeah. to get things on the cheap. You know, we rented a community center um, and it was really amazing. And I kind of fell in love with that process and with working in the world of love. Um, and then that summer, two other friends from church got married. So one of the benefits of, I guess, the church life is people got married very young. And so I had a lot of early weddings who were church friends okay. that were my test ground um, to really sort of learn, um, I, I guess not the hard way, but learn, yeah. you know, the real way yeah. without anyone telling me what to do. I would just sort of, let's figure this out together. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's an inherent challenge in, in a good way when you're dealing with, you know, possibly lower budgets too, right? Cause you have to, mm-hmm. there's limited resources. You have to be creative in different ways. Um, from from yeah. a photography standpoint, it's the same thing. You know, a lot of us start out shooting for free or, you know, a, a $500 wedding or whatever. And and yeah. those are harder to shoot than the, you know, whatever, the $10,000 wedding because of so many reasons. Yeah. 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 And so we, that was my first sort of summer into weddings. And then I made a really bad logo on PowerPoint. <laughs> PowerPoint. <laughs> I will say 12 years ago, <laughs> PowerPoint. Awesome. I had no money and I had yeah. no taste. 12 okay. years ago. I'm just going to be straight up and honest about it. I grew up in a small yeah. town. Then I was missionary. Like I had no self idea of like taste or vibe or sure. style. I was just kind of like 
flying by the seat of my pants. So my first logo colors were purple and gold. (laughs) And um, I made a website and then I started advertising on Craigslist and I was um, offering day of coordination for $400 back in 2008. And um, (laughs) yeah, it's really not, it's really not great. Um, But you know, you have to start somewhere. And I had those three weddings from my friends. So they were on my website. And I made a logo that was very um, beachy. It was not, you know, really sort of me um, in New York. And then at that point I was at a juncture, like do I continue studying for the LSATs, volunteering and move to Harvard, you know, go to Harvard Law School and become a lawyer or do I sort of pursue events? Um, And I dated a lawyer and it was a very telling time because I learned a lot about not dating, but about the profession and what I wanted to do and, I realized it's not really, I didn't want to work 90 hours a week after three more years of college and be almost a million dollars in debt to make $35,000 a year doing the kind of law that I wanted to do, which was to help people. Um, And so I was like, I will be poor for the rest of my life, helping other poor people more in debt than they are. And it just didn't feel right. Um, So I pivoted and I basically... Um, applied for events jobs and after college worked for a startup company doing events and then after that all the while I was building my business on the side and rebranding and really learning my own identity and then I worked at Bloomberg um, the finance company in New York Um, when is it maybe like 2010 ish so 2010 to 11 was the startup and then 2011 to 2012 was Bloomberg and then 2012 F the end of the contract with Bloomberg, I essentially decided to fully launch my own business. I had been doing it on the side. It had been growing, but it was a scary leap to go from, you know, benefits, insurance, salary to yeah. everything is on me. Um, but that was, yeah, I guess that was eight years ago. That's amazing. I mean, we're, so we're like 15 minutes in and we're already seeing, you know, a tie in here with these like three giant scary leaps, you know? So, I mean, I think it, it can be scary and sometimes we fall and sometimes they don't work out. And so, but I mean, here's an example where you, you know, so far every time you've taken, you've been brave and taken these sleep safe, they've paid off, right? Just being true to yourself. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, to me, not that I had nothing to lose, but it was sort of a world of the way the Bloomberg job had ended was really unfortunate. And part of me was like, I never want to give my life to a giant company that doesn't value me as a human, my time, my talent, my passion, my energy. And also I knew that I always wanted to work for myself and I knew that I could run a company more efficiently, more fun, more excited, and I could really express myself better, not in a corporate world. So yeah, it was a big, it was a big risk, Um, but I'm, I'm thrilled that I took it. That's amazing. So I'm trying to think, you know, where to go next. I'd love to talk about, you know, you, you kind of said, very funny, you, you designed your logo on PowerPoint and you didn't have taste, in, um, which I think is probably yeah. you know, hard for a lot of people to believe that see, you know, I mean, this, we just talked about the home renovation, the whole thing. I mean, there's nothing but taste and, and creativity. You're, you're going beyond taste to now you're, you know, creating your own uh, thing. So I'd love to get into that kind of evolution of, of taste and how that came about just being inundated with, sure. with you know, New York has this incredible design culture, culture in general. Um, but I'd also love to talk about when you did feel comfortable with coming out to your family and, and how, you know, why you felt comfortable and when that happened. Um, so maybe let's talk about that first. It's a little bit heavier and then we can get into the fun design sure. stuff. Yeah. 
I think it's actually interesting because I believe that they're connected awesome. in the way that I spent my whole life trying to make everyone else happy, you know, make everyone else happy and be the person I thought I was supposed to be. And I think that also is in the same world of aesthetics, right? When I started weddings, I was trying to do what everyone else was doing, trying to be what everyone else thought a wedding planner should be. And so that meant a certain look, a certain taste level. I will not um, blame my bowl cut on anyone else. That was my fault. Um, <laughs> and I had the bowl cut for far too long. Um, but yes, so coming out was really difficult. I moved to New York City and I actually wrote a letter to my parents. Mm. Um, I didn't think a phone call was the right approach. And I knew that I wanted, I was in college and I was working on, you know, letter, not letters, um, papers all the time. And so I was in that zone anyways. And I thought, you know what, let me write a paper. Let me put notes at the bottom. Let me link it. Let me give them sources. And basically the whole point of the letter was like, who I am as a human is exactly the same. Nothing about me has changed. Um, and then I would give scriptural right. um, sort of, passages um, and then contradict all the questions I knew that they would raise from the teachings like but this and that and the other and so it was ended up it was like a 12-page letter that I wrote then and it was really difficult for me but it felt like the only way I could get all my thoughts out and my rebuttals to the questions I knew that they were going to come to me with and um and can I, ask- I called my old yeah sorry to cut you off but can I ask you know having the 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 references and the the uh, scripture verses um did you do you can you reflect and remember at the time did you feel like that was more kind of a defense of yourself or did you feel like that was more you trying to give them peace of mind um when they were getting this it was like a it was a mix of both i wanted them to know that i think you know the bible and the teachings of our church are very diverse and a big part of it for me was like look at all of these 10 commandments that you're supposed to live your life by and um, you know, of course you treat people different if they steal from you, if they cheat on you, if they lie to you, if they kill you. Um, but you don't treat those people. Society doesn't treat those people. Christians don't treat those people the same way they treat people with, who are gay. And so yeah. it was sort of like, who are you to judge a sin? And I think part of it was rationalizing for me, but it was also really sort of helping them see that, um, in the end, faith is about love. And if, you're going to choose to move away from love, then maybe we don't have to have a relationship because if it's not love centered, then I don't think it's godly. And if it's not godly, then who are you to really um, say anything? And so that was kind of it for me. And um, I called my older brother before I sent the letter because he's in California. Everyone's in California still. I'm the only one in New York. And he was not surprised. I mean, I came out and I think he said like, finally like you know I've been and he's like I've been standing up for you my whole life and you know it's really such a blessing because he told me the number of people that wanted to bully me or beat me up or called me names behind my back and I never knew any of it because he always um, protected me which is so special and beautiful and so I knew I had him in my corner you know I knew that and I felt really great about that and then I sent the letter and um, they called my brother they didn't call me and they had like hours and hours of conversation with my brother. And ultimately he was like, just call Job. Like, I don't know why you're calling me, <laughs> just call him. Yeah. Um, you know, and we went through a period where we had a lot of discussion and then we kind of had a really odd relationship that was basically like, 
how's the weather? How's your finances? How's your safety? How's your school? And it got to a point where I basically told my dad, like, if you don't want to know about all of me, then I don't want to have a relationship with you. And he was like, you're so dramatic. And I was like, I'm not dramatic. Like, I'm, it it was really a point where I was like, I don't need to change. You need to change. And it was this moment of final, like, self-empowerment that, like, there's nothing wrong with me as a human for loving who I love. You know, like, if you want to judge me for an action, like, stealing or lying or cheating or murdering, you have all the right to do so, but not for who I love. Uh, being yourself yeah and as a parent you should want me to find love and happiness and a partner that loves me back and their gender shouldn't matter um so I finally stood up for myself and we didn't speak for a little while for almost a year um and I think he thought I would break and he called me and I wouldn't answer and then slowly the relationship kind of changed and um and he began to sort of ask a little bit more and it's it's been an interesting relationship to be totally honest i wouldn't say it's great um with my dad but um it's better than i expected and sort of at a place that i think is fine how long has it been since you sent that letter when was that um that would have been six or seven years ago yeah yeah six or seven years ago um And every year he still asks if I've changed my mind and maybe I want to marry a woman and have a baby and uh, kind of just goes right back to that point, you know, where I'm like, dad, that's not, that's not how this works. (laughs) Um, But we've evolved and grown from where we were 10 years ago, even. So I find gratitude in that. And my mom um, has been really supportive and super amazing. And she sort of was like, I always knew you know, she's like, you wore my shoes and my dresses, like from a very young age, there was no shock to me when you, um, when you told me, but she kind of kept quiet. And um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. But having her and my brother as two cheerleaders was really great. And my dad is on again, off again. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the that relationship that you had and have with your brother, the way you described it is incredible. I mean, that's amazing. It's really special. It's, you know, um, again, I don't know. I'm just going with what you just said, but it sounds like I, I don't have siblings. I have I have two kids who are a little bit. Um, there's a seven year gap, but they're good friends. But to have siblings that are friends, that doesn't always happen. You know, yeah. I have other um, relatives who have brothers and sisters, and sometimes I think it's it's less common. You know, they're close, but to have that true friendship that goes beyond. Um, just we have to like each other or we have to love each other or, or whatever. Um, it's special, man. That's 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 really awesome. Yeah, I feel so grateful for him. He's always been in my corner. He's been my biggest cheerleader, my biggest supporter. Anytime I take on a new project or say, I'm thinking about doing this, he's always the number one person to say, do it. Absolutely. I'll support you any way I can. Um, yeah. And I feel really lucky for that. Yeah. You know, and, and cultures create environments. Cultures create you know, they can be very welcoming, they can they can cause conflict, they can cause a lot of wrangling. And it's hard to dissect how a culture comes together. And you know, it seems like the, the culture that you grew up went in, which was built on um, love, you know, religion, God, it, it also caused a lot of wrangling, a lot of wrangling in your youth trying to, you know, um, come to terms with what is right and wrong. And and what does this and that mean? And then also, it seems like with with your dad too, that's he, 
it seems like, and I don't know, I mean, we've talked for 25 minutes, so how, how do I know, you know, but it just seems from what you said that here's a person who does love you a good deal and has had to wrangle with these things um, because of that culture, you know? And so I think it emphasizes how important culture is. And we create cultures in our home. Um, we, we live in cultures and communities, um, but we also can have an effect on them. And I think sometimes there's a tendency as an individual or even as a family to go like, oh, well, I'm just affected by my culture, yeah. I'm affected by my community. But we, we don't have to be, we can affect our culture. Totally, I mean, culture is a choice sexuality mm. is not and so right. that's the main difference so good. people say my church tells me one thing you know and they say that you're wrong and that you're evil um deciding to go to that church deciding to believe in that faith is a choice it is a choice an mm. active choice that you're making um being gay is not a choice uh and it's something i tell people all the time that you know when i was younger if there was a switch i would absolutely have turned it off. My life would have been right. so much easier if I could have had my marriage and had my wife and had my kids and made my parents happy. I mean, I wouldn't have gone into debt going to Columbia because I had a full ride in California. Right. I wouldn't have, you know, moved across the country not knowing anyone without friends or family. Like it, there's no reason in the history of the, the world where um, gay people have been documented since the beginning of time that it is a choice, that it is something that you know, I don't know, like, who would sign up for the most difficult path when there's an easy option, you know, I just don't 100%. know who would do that, you know, and, and it all goes back to talking to people even in church. And I'm like, when did you decide to be a heterosexual? When did you decide to love someone of the opposite sex? When did you decide, you know, you wanted to marry someone of the opposite sex? And they always say, oh, well, I never decided. And I'm like, well, we're the same. I didn't decide. It's, it's it's how I was created. It's who I am ever since I can remember. The surfer, the male surfer was always where my eye went on the beach, never his girlfriend or never the girl in the bikini. Like, if anything, I was like, I don't like the pattern on that bikini, but I didn't notice, <laughs> you know, the tits yeah, or the yeah, ass. Yeah. That was not like what I was looking at. Right. And my older brother was like, check her out. And I was like, uh-huh, right. looking at her uh -huh. boyfriend, yeah. you know? It's, yep. Yep. It's, it's just a thing that I think people have to realize is we have a choice in life and we can choose love or we can choose hate. Um, those are choices. And those choices, yeah. as you said, build culture and you have an impact on the culture you create. And I don't think it's black or white. I think it can definitely be whatever color you want it to be. Yeah, that is one of the most concise and incredible things I've heard. I mean, what you said, culture is a choice, sexuality is not. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, that's incredible. So that's, um, and, I, and I love the, you know, kind of flip, flipping things the other way to say, well, as a heterosexual, well, can you make a choice the other way? Can you just choose to, to be attracted to the same sex? I mean, I think yeah. that's, if, if someone were to just, who, who feels that way um, about, um, you know, gay uh, culture and, and gay sexuality, if you just give them, if they can take two seconds to be sincere in their own mind and think, okay, what, could I just make a choice the other way? It's, it's, yeah. it's, no, it's not, even, not even close, right? So, no. Yeah, yeah. And I think if we all start to try to put ourselves in the shoes of someone's mm -hmm. who we don't understand or someone's life whom we haven't lived, I think it helps us come from a place of compassion, mm -hmm. not a place of confusion. Um, because I don't know what it's like to be black in America today. I don't. I can't say that I ever will. I'm very white. I have my privilege, but 
I can put myself in their shoes through education, through videos, through reading, through watching, and really try to empathize with that situation instead of judging mm-hmm. that situation. And I think if we all did that, the world would be a much better place. Our industry as a whole would be a much better place. Um, and so, yeah, we have the choice. Every day we make the choice to move in the world of compassion and understanding or judgment and hate. And we're at the car, we're the right. driver, right? We decide, are we exiting left or right um, to judgment and hate or you know, compassion and caring? And so, you know, I think for me as a person who spent most of my life feeling ashamed and self-hatred and hatred of a community um it's not something i want other people to feel it's not something i can tell you it's not a great feeling (laughs) at all um and so you know in my mind in my business if we can affect change that's beyond pretty beautiful events then that's a purpose driven life that i want to live um and it's really an integral part of the business and has become so over the past few years yes i love design yes i love producing colorful, fun, vibrant, unique events, but it's not all about what I do, but how I do it, I think is even more important. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how you've created a purpose-driven business that's more than just design. I do want to go back and reflect on something that you said about empathy and that it's okay, and if not more than okay, it's important to realize that we can't know how someone else feels. We've had we've never had that experience, and I think it's there's almost even from coming from a really good-hearted place, a tendency to to want to be able to say like, "Well, I know how you feel," um, which can be on when you're, someone on the side can be really difficult to hear when they know you can't. Yeah. Right. And so it's okay to say and realize I I have no idea how you feel. I cannot, um, you know, share those experiences but I empathize with how you feel. I have compassion mm-hmm. for you. So give, you yeah. know, give yourself permission to be okay with saying it. Like I, I can't share that experience with you, you know? Yeah. That, I that haven't kind of, walked in your shoes. Yeah. I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about how you've done, how you've brought purpose into your business and how, you know, maybe how, how others can do the same thing being more than just, um, you know, a designer or a photographer or whatever you do, how can people bring purpose into their business? Yeah. So for me, it's something we've kind of always done, but I didn't realize it for a long time, but we um, are an event planning design firm for those who dare to be different. And our purpose comes from our partnerships and we are powered by partnerships with fellow small businesses that are owned and operated by women, people of color and queer people. And for many years, I have only really been exclusively working with small businesses owned and operated by women, people of color, and queer people. That's awesome. And I just did it because it's what I thought was right. And it's the relationships I want to have. I want to work with the owner of a business because nobody is more invested in the product than the owner. And no disrespect to huge companies or big corporations because they start small and there is an owner. But I think when you work with a huge corporation, you're not getting the same level of service or attention as from an owner. So that was always something we did. And then I realized that I was really focused on giving the business um, to people who are minorities, who've been othered by society, who've been mistreated by society. And if I look at my client's budget as power and I can give that power, i.e. money, to small businesses, then they can affect change in their own way and uplift their own communities And really then our events have meaning and they're not just pretty parties. 
because the people that put them on, their lives have been bettered from this money and from this job. I mean, we're not giving away money. Obviously, vendors earn yeah, their money. They have it. And I don't just give vendors who are gay a job because they're gay. You have to meet a certain level, a certain standard, a certain level of professionalism, of course. But um, it's a big part of our process. And it's something that I've always done. But now we're much more vocal about it. And yeah. it's right on our website when you get there. We lay it out as clear as possible. Um, and it's been really powerful and transformative to connect with couples, to let them know that, you know, when you work with me, the team that we hire is making the world a better place, right? And a simple example is a caterer that I love in New York City, Fig and Pig, and the chef, Holly, is a lesbian, a good friend of mine, and she opened a pop-up restaurant, and um, one of her cashiers was a transgender person that nobody else would hire. Nobody would hire this person because they're transgender. Holly took a risk and hired this person. And that all happened because she has wedding work, which can fund her restaurant work. And so in a way, I absolutely would support her more than a company that's a huge conglomerate that probably doesn't have any transgendered workers or isn't taking a risk in a way um, that society deems a risk. I don't think it's a risk to hire a trans person, but unfortunately, many people do. So that's a simple example or a person of color that um, their work is really beautiful, but they're likely also going to hire additional people who are people of color or people who may not have gotten the job otherwise. So for me, it's like if I get to build those relationships and create magic with with people who've been through a difficult life for things they cannot control, things beyond their choice, the color of their skin, their sexuality, their you know their gender identity, like these are things that you know they're their gender, being yeah. a woman, these are things that they have no choice over, but I have a choice of who I work with and who I recommend and who I uplift and who I spotlight through the work that I do. And so we lean into that. And now um, it's a really big part of our company and we make it, you know, on every phone call that we have, on every post that we have, we're proud about it and we shout it from the mountaintop. And I really hope um, it can be an example to new businesses and to businesses everywhere that you can make a business and have purpose and profit at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, tying this in here, you're, you're in a sense affecting culture, right? I mean, there's a trickle down here because you've included this caterer, given her that business that's allowed her to make a decision to bring someone in, give them an opportunity in a job where others wouldn't mm -hmm. for no good reason, right? That they wouldn't give that person mm -hmm. an opportunity. And so where and it's just one person is one example but where that person would have been ostracized even more even like yeah. financially so forget even just social interactions going further to say we're not even going to give you a job we're going to even give you, you don't have a job you don't have income have nothing so yeah so here's this trickle down culture right by having a purpose-driven business in that example which i absolutely love we, we've we've brought someone in we've just given them i mean it's a it's a base, a base thing a job and, and i think a lot of people would think um, well, anyone can get a job, but I don't know that everyone realizes how, like, that there's many cultures that are struggling, that transgender culture is a whole nother level that I don't think people even want to, I mean, a lot of people don't even acknowledge, you know, and I've, I've spoken to friends and family about certain things. And I would say, do you, do you even realize, let's talk about this segment, like what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the degree of just care that's, that's not given um at this segment yeah. and they're just and it's just like they can't compute it and it's like no i guess i didn't know yeah. that but it's like you know um yeah no, but it's incredible so i think 
there could be a tendency, you know, just let's go back to the surface a little bit, just talking about going with a big company versus the small local company, um, a tendency to think like, well, that's going to cost me more. That's going to take up more of my time to, to do that. Um, do you agree with that? Start there. That it would be more expensive to work with a smaller yeah. company or a bigger smaller company? Smaller company, more expensive. No, I, I actually think it's the opposite. I think a larger company is more expensive because a larger company has more overhead. It's very simple. A bigger company needs, you know, from a florist point of view, they need a warehouse, they need staff, they need trucks, they need delivery, they need infrastructure, they need payroll, they need insurance. And in order to pull off events of a certain scale, you have to have a certain size team. And all of that is factored into the cost of your proposal. Whereas a smaller business um, that runs leaner and doesn't have a huge team and big payrolls doesn't pass those costs mm -hmm. on to the client. So I'm not going to say one is better or worse or one is right or wrong. They're very different business models. And I think for a long time, I wanted to be big business because in my mind, in American culture, bigger is better and bigger is more successful. And I wanted to have 20 event planners and a big team and weddings all over the world. And when I really started to grow in that way and realized then as the owner, I'm not planning and designing, I'm now a manager and I'm now managing planners and designers and I'm now doing HR or I have to hire someone in HR and then I have to pay for that person, get them an office, get them healthcare, get them, you know, all these things that actually it wasn't, it wasn't joyful for me right. anymore. And so really when I scaled back and I'm like, okay, well, I don't need an office. I'll go to my client's home. To me, that's more luxurious than making them come to me. Um, and I'll bring on a very small core team for planning and I'll hire out for production as needed and really be able to take on the kind of work that I want to be doing and still be doing it, not managing other people who do it. Um, and so I find it's actually more affordable to work with a smaller company than a large company. But again, it all depends on the scope of work, right? Sometimes you need a really big company with that infrastructure and that leadership and that team and, and that, that they can handle a certain scope. But to this point, our focus really is on fellow small businesses. And maybe for this caterer, it's the biggest thing they've ever done. But I believe in them and I have faith in them. And if we work together and we have clear communication and make a great plan, it's going to be amazing. And once you've done it once, yeah. you know, you'll yeah. know how to do it. I think... For, for weddings in particular, I would go out and say smaller is definitely better because you're dealing with nuance, you're dealing with individualized um, designs, you're focused on experience for your clients. And so to be able to pivot and make decisions quickly, if it, you know, even just on the, the build out day or days beforehand, mm -hmm. you know, you want people, you want people that are part of your team that care, that are invested. So even just dollar and cents comparing, you know, you could, some could say that, or oh, a bigger business, if they can do things in, in bulk or anything like that, then they can bring costs down. But I think from a wedding standpoint, you, you actually probably could wind up paying more if you're dealing with big, because small is going to give you time and love and care. Yeah, I think it's true. In a big company, you need a salesperson mm -hmm. and that salesperson needs a salary, yeah. right? And even if you look at like a band, if you're going to hire a band, if they're represented by an agency or they were represented by themselves, if there's an agency, of course the price is higher to cover the cost of the agency and their office and their staff and their admin. And maybe you'll get elevated services with an agency that you don't get by going directly to the band. 
but ultimately it's the same band. It's the same performance, just two different price points. Yeah. And again, no disrespect to people who make those choices. Um, I understand why bands move to an agency. Artists and performers want to perform. They don't want to write emails all day and think about certificates of insurance and make sure they have a green room with water. You know, they don't want to do all yeah. that. They just want to show up and perform. Of course. And I get that. Um, but for me, there's no greater joy than working with another owner and building a relationship with an owner that I trust that I know that if something were to go wrong catastrophically or whatever, that they're going to do everything in their power to make it right. You know, and I know that I can call or text the owner at any time. Whereas a salesperson in bigger companies, often it's hard. Turnover is very high. There'll be, you know, companies I'll email and every year it's a new person. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, and I don't get the joy of the relationship that I crave and that is meaningful yeah. to me. Yeah. Do, do you have, I mean, either something you can reflect on in your experiences doing this or even any suggestions. I don't know if there's anything here or not, but you know, just if there's someone out there who has been going about their business and just hiring vendors, you know, maybe it's, and I say just, but based off of the quality of their work, but they haven't thought much about how their business can affect their community, how their business can have a greater purpose. You know, what are the steps to go and find out like what caterers are a gay owned business or a minority owned business? How does someone do that? Is it just hitting the phones? How, how, how do we, how do they start? Yeah. I mean, I think the about page on everyone's business is super important. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it actually brings up a really interesting point when you say that um, there's a, more people of color don't put their photo on their website because they're afraid that the quality of their work is amazing, their reviews are amazing, but if someone sees they're a person of color, they may not get hired, which to me is beyond heartbreaking. Um, and it's subtle racism at best, and um, it's terrible. Yeah. So anyways, but all that to say, your about page says everything about you. It should say why you started your business. It should say what you love doing in your business. And I really think it should also have your principles and it should have your, you know, what you stand by, your manifesto ultimately. And I think, you know, I think having advocacy in the wedding planning world and in the wedding industry is new. I think a lot of people want something pretty. This person did it. I don't really care about their political stance. I don't care if they're racist. I don't care if they voted for someone who's trying to take away human rights. Like, I just, I like their work and it's pretty and I want it. But I think that moving forward, that's not going to be the case. I think people will be more interested in the, the backstory and the mission and the values of the company they're hiring. Um, and I think if you're interested in looking for that, then the website should make it clear. You know, if a website has a mission statement, if they have values, that's where it will be. If they're missing those things, then, you know, you can make your own assumptions, but you can always assume really interested in working with someone who aligns with our values do you, can you talk more about that? Or is that important to you? Right. You know, we're going to call and ask them about their pricing and availability. What's the harm in one additional question um, on the back end? Yeah. And if they're uncomfortable answering that question, that's probably pretty telling too, right? And yeah, silence is a really um, clear answer in my opinion. And, um, you know, what we're doing now as a company in that vein, because I, everyone I work with as a gay man, when I work with gay couples, I'm the first wall of defense to ensure that they're not hiring a homophobic vendor. They're not hiring a vendor mm -hmm. that it's two men in the room says bridal suite, that they're not hiring someone who isn't taking the time and effort 
to personalize their event to them, right? And so I do that already for same-sex couples and I do that for any couple, but ultimately um, I've been hiring all my friends for the last couple of years. And so I know that they're all allies and I know that they're all supporting equality and inclusivity and diversity. But I wanted to take it a step further after everything that's currently going on with Black Lives Matter and, um, and I wanted to put it in writing. And so I spent the last couple of months um, really crafting an ally pledge um, that starts with my diversity and inclusion commitment as a company and then a pledge that um, we're going to send out to every vendor and it will live on our website. And if you do not sign the pledge, we will not work with you. Um, and it's super simple. It's basically a pledge that is against hate. So um, it's not. there's nothing in there that's controversial. There's nothing in there that would give you a reason to not sign it. But I hope in sharing this pledge and making this pledge public that it will bring awareness, but also education and really give people um, a moment and a pause to learn and to take a deeper look into you know, their own challenges, um, if they're slightly racist or homophobic, or they have, or, you know, a misogynist or <laughs> classist or anti-Semitic, or, you know, there's all these things um, that I felt as a gay man, we have pride and I fought for gay rights for so long, but I'm not a black person. And while I stand with the Black Lives Matter movement, I'm not a person of color and they have their own movement and, and everyone kind of has you know, their own bubble and they're all actively fighting for their own equality as they should and as they unfortunately have to. But I thought maybe there's a place where everyone who's been othered, where everyone who's been mistreated uh, for something they cannot control um, could all come together. And so that's what I've created is an ally pledge that you will work to speak out against hate and you will work to stand up for those who are being mistreated. And to me, if you can't agree to this pledge of love above hate, I don't think we can work together. It's just not gonna happen. Yeah, Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, the the idea of we are one community, we're one single community, we're better together. So whatever whatever that that, um, portion of your community that you're in, that you are fighting for, the idea that you don't have to fight for it alone, right? Yeah. You don't have to just be fighting for gay rights yeah. or uh, black rights. That, like you said, that everyone that's been othered doesn't have to be fighting separately. It's beautiful. Yeah, and to be honest, there are people who are black and gay, and there are people who are black and gay and disabled, and there are people who are black and gay, disabled, and a woman and Jewish. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we don't. We yeah. love to put one label per person. Everyone gets one. Check one box of being different or get being one. other. You get one, but really, people are multifaceted. And so, um, this came about just from a place of like, I know what it was like my whole life to be mistreated, to walk into a room and to be called a faggot and to be bullied and to be beat up for something. Again, I have no choice in. I have no say over. Um, yeah. And I can only imagine. You know, I. I could mask my sexuality. I'm not going to say I could do it very well. I don't think I play a straight butch man very well. But um, unlike a person of color, it doesn't go with me everywhere I am. It's not the first thing you see. Um, uh, Being a woman, you can't really hide that sexism that's out there. Um, Being in a wheelchair or using a crutch or a cane, you you can't hide that, you know? And so to me, different is beautiful and different should be celebrated and different should be uplifted. 
And I've always been different. My brand has always been different. I've always been the salmon yeah. going upstream um, my whole life. And now I want to bring everyone together and say that as an industry, we see you, we hear you, we're sorry, and we'll do better. And we'll do better to think about including you in our events and including you in the process and being mindful of you and your differences, not annoyed by your differences. Oh, I got to put in a wheelchair ramp. Oh, I have someone who, you know, is this certain culture. Oh, another gay person. Like whatever the, the feelings yeah. of the past, we've all made mistakes, right? We've all said things we regret. We've all done things we regret. Um, that's part of the way you're raised. It's part of society. It's part of the film industry, TV industry. Um, but change starts with you and change starts with me and writing this and learning this was like such a powerful tool for me to hold up a mirror to myself. And I hope others really can do the same. And I think seeing it listed out, you're like, oh, wow, there are so many groups of people who've been mistreated their whole life for something they have no control over. That's incredible. So this ally pledge, where is it going to be? Is it something that you're sending out to your vendors or to, is it going to be available to, to anyone in the industry? Yeah, it's going to be on my website. Um, it's not a private thing. It'll yeah. live on the website because what I hope is not only will we link it to all of our vendors who we reach out to for our clients to sign, and we'll have a database on the back end. Um, but I want other companies to take this pledge and put it on their website yeah. and make the commitment to also only work with people who stand for love above hate. And so um, I want to share it and I'm proud to share it. I don't think I put the time and the energy into this to make it something that only Joe Meyer events will have. So it's on my website and it'll be there for people to copy and paste and use in whatever way, shape or form that they can help spread the message. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so this voice of yours that you've, I mean, I love the, the journey that we've taken so far in this, in this conversation of, you know, growing up and, and now, you know, being able to share this with your parents, but now here you are and you have a voice that you're, you're putting in front of your brand and, and uh, the world and who you are, you know, um, mm -hmm. you're speaking and I looked at some of your speaking engagements and a lot of them were, were very wedding related. And now there's, um, some non-wedding related speaking engagements for um, gay organizations. How did those come about? Um, and what are some of the things that you're speaking about at, at those um, engagements? Yeah, I mean, the speaking for me really began around the world of LGBTQ rights okay. and LGBTQ trends in weddings. And okay. so that was the starting place with The Knot. They conducted one of the first ever surveys of same-sex couples. And I worked with The Knot and presented their findings, as well as some tips on how to work with and attract same-sex couples. And that was sort of the start of it many years ago. And then as everything has evolved, you know, every presentation, I would start to include other, or other groups of people who've been marginalized, right? Because a lot of the principles I say on how to attract and work with same-sex couples are the same when it comes to how to attract and work with people of different sizes, different ages, different disabilities, ethnicities, races, genders, you know? Yeah. And to me, it's like, I can speak about what I know and I know what it was like to experience hate and prejudice for being gay. And I never felt I could really openly talk about those other things because I hadn't experienced them. But when I started to realize that the group of people in this world who've been othered or who have been mistreated, um, you know, for lack of better word, minorities, mm -hmm. um, we're all going through the same thing. 
and their wedding world could be much better if they made the same efforts to attract and work with same-sex couples as they did with couples of different color and size and ethnicity and disability and race and gender. Um, and so it started to- There's not a proportional effort. No, yeah. not at all. And I spoke about what I knew and then I realized that there was a part of me that felt like I was leaving others behind. Um, and so how could I include them? And so, you know, it started with a slide in my presentation, diversity is sexy. And that was really sort of the beginning and diversity is sexy would mean shape color, ethnicity, not just straight white people or yeah. gay white people, you know, like all people yeah. are beautiful and all people deserve to be celebrated. And um, I started to realize that all the things I was teaching about working with and attracting same-sex couples is very similar to working with anyone who's othered or different, right? We don't see ourselves on people's website. We don't read about things that make sense to us. We don't see um, the images on Instagram that look like us, feel like us. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with all these other communities. And so it kind of just started to expand from there. And um, the Knot asked me to speak about BQ, but also and diversity on a broad. And at first I fought it. I was like, no, we have to keep fighting for gay rights because you know, it's getting better on the coast, but in the middle, it's still very difficult. And in the South, it's very difficult. But what I realized is like, none of us win if all of us don't win. And so, um, yeah. and as I said before, you can be gay and black and a woman <laughs> and Jewish and in a wheelchair and still right. you know, be complex. You don't just check one box of these. And so, yeah, it's kind of expanded from there. And I've been speaking now exclusively online because we're not meeting in person for obvious yeah. reasons. Yep, yep. And it's been such a joy to really um, speak with people about inclusivity, diversity, social justice, and really just living a purpose-driven life in your business, right? You can wake up every day and you can do your, you can do your job, or you can wake up every day and make the world a better place. And really the decision is yours. No one is stopping you, but you. And so that's kind of my new focus um, at the moment in the speaking world, because I just think we can all use our work and our art and our skills to make the world a better place. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful message and it doesn't need to be one or the other, right? Like to wake up every day and, and to go to work or, yeah. or do your job or run your business and to have purpose and, and affect change and to make our community stronger. You don't have to pick, yep. you can do both. You right? totally yeah. can. And it's, it doesn't, it doesn't take, I mean, I don't think so. It doesn't take uh, this monster change. It just, it just, being a little bit aware, yep. more aware, making uh, small decisions along the way that are just for purpose. And I think a lot of people, they just, you know, I think you hit on this earlier, you just hire someone without really thinking of it. It doesn't mean that you were trying to make a choice that didn't affect change. Sure. It just, it, did, it wasn't on your forefront of your mind. Yeah. So just having that, just being a, a little bit aware can have such a great effect. Well, and to me, it's like, yeah, if you knew the person you were hiring, was homophobic or racist, would you hire them? Right. You know, if you knew a conference you were going to was run by people who are homophobic or racist or transphobic, would you go? And I can't, there's a clear, very clear answer for me and everyone has to answer for themselves. But if businesses were more promotional in their values and in their mission, I think their business would grow. And I think, um, I think especially more modern younger couples are very interested in the how and the why, not just the what. Um, 
And so to me, I think it's a no-brainer, right? That your business can benefit, your soul can benefit, and the world can benefit. That's good. It's incredible, man. Um, all right. I, I, I don't know how to segue out of like like fun design stuff, but this is, <laughs> in and of itself, this is um, more than I expected in a really, really incredible way. I, I just thank you for, for sharing so much. And um, yeah, it's been awesome. It's my um, pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Jove. I so design-wise, what is, what is you know this now newer evolved version of Jove who doesn't <laughs> use PowerPoint for for graphic design? What what do how do you approach design now? What are the things in in design and in weddings that you are you're bringing to your your clients that that you you're really seeing right now? For me, yeah, design is the joy for me. It's what makes me so happy. And I find inspiration everywhere. I mean, when I walk the dogs, when I go to the beach, when I'm in the mountains, when I'm traveling, when I'm in a restaurant, for me, it is everywhere. And so my goal is to really get to know my couple. I want to know their style, their personality, their love story, who they are, who they're not, who they're pretending to be, who they're trying to impress. I want to do a deep dive on them, even when they don't know it. Um, I love having, uh, we don't have meetings at Joe Meyer events. We have dates um, because I think our relationship is like dating. Um, I want to get to know you. You want to get to know me. In the beginning, we're a little nervous. And then the longer we date, the better it gets, right? And the more you date someone, the more you know their favorite flower, their favorite food, you know, their favorite restaurant. And to me, when I'm designing a party, it should be a reflection of your style, your personality, your relationship, your love story. It's not my party. It's yours. Yeah. It should look like you, smell like you, taste like you, all of those things. And so with my couples on their first date, on <laughs> our first date, which in my dream includes a lot of cocktails, nice. but if they don't drink because that's their choice, then it will be coffee, whatever they want. Um, but we really go through and discuss every component of the wedding. And I don't make any assumptions about them. I work really hard to not assume how they want to celebrate, why they want to celebrate, or what it should look like. Um, I think it's so easy in our profession to like look at someone, make an assessment, and then here's what you should do. But for me, there's no joy in that. I want to know who you are. I'm going to have hours and hours of conversation around entertainment and beauty and color and design. Um, and then I also ask my couples for 25 images. And those images should not be wedding images. They should be architecture, art, nature, fashion, anything. I mean, there could be a couple wedding images in there, but I want to get a sense of who you are. Um, and good. then I really want to see your apartment, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> because I think you really learn a lot about someone in their home. Um, and now I'm really giving away all my secrets on how I study, <laughs> yeah. how I study my couples. Are they sending um, you pictures of their apartment or are you, you're going over and hanging out? Well, pre-COVID, yes. My yeah. first date would be we'd start at their apartment and then maybe go to a bar that they'd recommend. But when I'm there, I'm looking at everything, right? Are they offering water? Do they use bottled water, tap water? Is it sparkling? Is it still? Are they name brand people or off-brand people? Do they shop at Trader Joe's or Whole Foods? Um, do they take their shoes off when you come in? Do they have plants? Are the plants alive yeah. or dead? Um, <laughs> you know, what is their house neutrals? Is their house brightly colored? Is it textural? I mean, I'm absorbing everything without them even realizing all the things I'm learning from their home together. Um, I'm looking at their clothes. Are they name brand? Are they tight? Are they loose? Are they new? Are they vintage? I'm literally absorbing it all because I want 
to put all of them back into their party. And I think for me, the only way to do that is to get to know them and to date them essentially. And the joke is always like, we're gonna be a thruple for the next year or two and get used to it. (laughs) You know, we're gonna text, we're gonna call, we're gonna drink, we're gonna gossip and we're gonna have fun. So um, that's where my design really comes from. And um, it also is inspired by the space or spaces that we're celebrating. Um, I don't, I'm not an amazing renderer. I don't do renderings for my couples. I do chicken scratch drawings that are terrible. And I'm very clear about that um, because I want to create designs that have never been done in that space in that way for the, for anyone else. Yeah. So it's hard to show someone something if it's never been done. And that's yeah. the joy and the challenge for me. I, I love it. I, I love that you've, you've used the word joy a couple of times here um, because you know, I've, I've seen a bunch of your, the weddings that you've done. And before this, I kind of went on your site and was looking through the galleries and I was trying to think like, where's the, the, the design tie in? Like, is there something like, Oh, this is Joe's thing. That's, you know, is it's always tented or it's always, you know, in Brooklyn or it's, you know, or, or it's always, um, you know, whatever. And, and so the, the thing is that you're doing exactly what you you're saying you're doing is you're designing for, your clients, they're, they're different. They're them. They fit into their photos, if that makes sense. And the tie in that I see is joy. All Mm. your couples are filled with joy. Um, So you're doing it right. Thank you. That's so sweet. And to me, that's the greatest compliment. I think in our industry for a long time, it's been, this is what a wedding looks like. This is what a wedding tastes like. This Mm. is what a wedding smells like. And I think that there are a lot of people who are happy to sort of have a wedding that is glamorous and um, glitzy and over the top, and it makes them happy. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a subset of people who don't want that, who don't want the wedding they've seen a million times before at the same hotel that is fancy and beautiful and glamorous. They want custom, they want personal, they want it to feel like a party they're throwing about them for them with the people they love. And so, yeah, I'm inspired by everything. I mean, we have a beautiful wedding now and the bride wore a red Vera Wang dress. And like that told me everything I needed to know about this bride, right? Like, I know who you are. I know what you want. I know what you don't want. Um, And so I appreciate that. Joy is really at the center of it. And um, I wanna make people happy. We're in the business of joy and love and hospitality. And so I think it's so important to really make it look like them and feel like them and it sounds so simple but it's not it's not always easy because you have what society tells you your wedding should look like you have what your parents tell you your wedding should look like you have what your friends who got married tell you your wedding should look like you don't always your voice isn't always the loudest and i know that very well from my whole life and so part of my job is also helping their voice come through and you know, that's why on my first date, no parents are allowed. It's only my couple. I'll have as many dates as the parents want separate, but I want to hear direct from my couple. Who are you? What do you want? What don't you want? What do you like? What don't you like? Give me the good, the bad, the dirty, the ugly, the pretty. I want it all. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I, I think you said no, it might sound easy to do. I, I think that to me, it sounds incredibly difficult. I, I come from a design background. I, I studied architecture for a couple of years. I have a, mm. um, a graduate degree in graphic design. And so I understand that design process a little bit. And so when I see yeah. a wedding that is uniquely that couple, when I show up to a wedding and I know it's, it's them, that is, to me, that is an artisan. That is art. 
you know, that is a craft that it takes a lot, you know, you. To, 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 to see beautiful weddings and then just recreate it. That, that is beautiful, you know, in itself, but to find who someone is and create their wedding is a different yeah. thing altogether, you know? Yeah. Um, and you do it, you do it really well. I appreciate that. It's yeah. been, it wasn't always that way, you know, it was a journey to get to that, but um, I'm so glad we're here and I'm so glad um, I get to work with incredible couples who dare to be different, you know, yeah. and I think, yep. I think that it's so special that now that is being different is being celebrated more than in the past. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So the last thing that I want to talk about, and of course we can talk about as much as you want um, anything else, but the last thing I wanted to ask about is Rachel Ray. How'd that, <laughs> that's, my girl, she's yeah. so sweet. Yeah, so how'd that come about? Talk about your experiences getting on there and, and uh, what, what, what that's been like for you. Yeah, so I got an inquiry from um, a bride-to-be maybe five years ago, and we were sadly not available for her wedding day, but we made recommendations for other people. She booked someone else. You know, unlike many inquiries that come and don't land, you don't really think about them after they've gone somewhere else. I was unable to do this bride's wedding. She followed me on Instagram. And then two or three years later, she got a job as a producer on the Rachel Ray show. And she reached out to me and said, I've been following your work. I love it. Would you ever want to be in the show? And I said, of course, I would absolutely love to be in the show. Um, and now I'm going on to my third season um, with Rachel. And we are in the middle of pitching some really fun ideas for this season. You'll see some home renovation, which is exciting. Um, and some DIY weddings at home. Um, always trying to give um, sort of listeners cheap and cheerful ways to make beauty in their home um, and in their life. And so it's very on brand for Rachel. It's very on brand for me. And it's been super fun. What was it like going on the first time? Were you nervous? Was it weird being on TV? Yeah, it's, it is nerve wracking um, because there's not really like a rehearsal period um, and I had never done anything like that before. So yeah, I love speaking, but that's different. I know my content, I know what's yeah. going on, but you show up, they bring you to the green room, you put in your outfit, you put it, you go to hair and makeup. Um, and I thought that I had like a little time to prep, but the guest that was supposed to appear before me was late. So they literally mid makeup, like rush me on the stage and all the demos that I um, had sent her were pre-set up and I walk over to the table. I, Rachel's there ready to go. And she says, hello. I say hello. And the cameraman counts down from five Whoa. and go. And then all of like an audience, the lights are on, the cameras are on. And I have seven minutes to move through all of these different, um, fun activities and it was pretty intense but also super exhilarating because it's you know you kind of get into it and you zone in but I had never met Rachel I, I don't know what her rapport is I don't know what our energy would be like um but it was super fun and we laughed and we had a great time and um from that point after the first time I basically sent everyone a thank you gift because I was so honored. Um, she does make breakfast for me, which is great. Nice. <laughs> it's always delicious in the green room. But, um, and then I basically just kept pitching them. I said, this was so much fun. Here's seven other holidays coming up this year. Here are 25 ideas per holiday. Um, let me know if you're looking for, for anything else. That's awesome. And that's kind of been the secret to that is really, you know, easy to work with, grateful to be there positive energy and then I send them 
literally the next day a deck of hundreds more options yeah. for them to pick from. Yeah. I love I love being proactive and you know, you know, getting after it and giving them all those ideas. That is crazy though. I mean, how surreal must that be? Just get on you've never met her and just lights on, go. Wow. Yeah. Now it's different. We yeah. know one another. I'm like, but that very first time it was so intense because this other guest was late. And um, so they pushed me onto that person's slot and it was literally like so wild. I've never been in like such an exhilarating because you can't redo, you can't yeah. start over. I'd be like, okay, hold on, I messed up. Like you don't have to like go and we're doing like hot glue and this and that and the other. Um, and Rachel's amazing. I mean, they film two to three episodes a day wow. and really wild. I mean, her energy is so high. She's so present, but she literally went from cooking in the kitchen to meeting with me and then quest love was over here and then back in the kitchen and the meeting with someone else like it's a non-stop you're in you're out you yeah. know there's no there's yeah. no downtime wow that's that's crazy and awesome and amazing wow <laughs> all yeah. right um again thank you so much for for you know not just being so open to jumping on the podcast and and taking the time out from your day and your home renovation and everything else you have going on but again thank you for being so incredibly open i know it's just who you are um and people you know it comes across in your brand it comes across when you speak but it's still highly appreciated and highly refreshing um to have you just be so open and i think when we share that way, when we take down, you know, um, those things that kind of stop us from being really open, it, it just helps so many other people. And, and I know other people are going to listen to this and they're going to benefit from it. So um, I thank you so much. No, thank you for having me, for reaching out. I'm really grateful to be on your podcast. And um, I think, you know, in this life, what do we have but time and love? And I'm happy to share whatever I can. If it helps anyone else in one small way, then, you know, it's a job well done for you, for me, and for everyone. So I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, Joe.